You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes. Good morning. Good to see everybody. We'll be in the Gospel of John again today. Be in the 13th chapter, beginning in the 31st verse. Beginning John 13, 31. We continue here with Jesus at the Last Supper with the apostles. He's washed their feet. He exposed his knowledge of Judas's betrayal to Judas. Others, too, it was veiled, but Judas understood, and he had sent Judas on his way. Now the teaching continues, but without Judas there, Jesus is not going to have to qualify uh, everything that he says, uh, as he had before. Uh, verse 18, uh, as he said, uh, I am not speaking of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. He says, uh, you're blessed if you do these, but not all of you. Uh, In verse 30, uh, Judas had received his morsel, and he had gone out immediately into the night. And so now that uh, Judas is gone, we won't have the qualifying statements made over and over as had been done before. But we haven't had all the problems leave. Judas left, but not all the problems The betrayer was gone, but there's others who have other problems that are going to come up. And so we have here a good illustration of the problem that we often have in the world of we think the problem is somebody else. And other people have problems, there's no doubt of that. A little over 100 years ago, uh, author, believer, J.K. Chesterton, he responded to an essay that was in the newspaper uh, the essay had gotten a lot of responses. An essay asked, what is wrong? And it asked, what is wrong with the conditions of the world today? And many people wrote back various answers. Chesterton wrote back, and this is the famous part. He wrote an essay, but these two lines are the famous part of what he wrote back. He said, in one sense, and that the eternal sense, the thing is plain. The answer to the question, what is wrong, is or should be, I am wrong. That's often... Uh, shortened in the telling, uh, somebody asked the question, what is wrong? And Chesterton said, it's me. And that is the gist of it. The, the problem resides in human hearts. And since I have one, you know, problems reside there. And so Jesus is going to go on and talk to these who he loves best. He's going to help prepare them for what is coming. He's going to give them <clears throat> some mitigations. <clears throat> Pardon. Mitigations and cures for the things that uh, afflict them. And so we read now John 13, 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, 
And as I said to the Jews, now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love or have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me. Now you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. I'm sure for Peter that took a very unexpected turn there at the end. So uh, we have here in this text, and we'll take it in the three parts of glory. There's going to be glory, and that glory is going to be now. There's going to be a new love that Jesus commands, and there's going to be a false or misplaced confidence. And so these three things in this text, glory now, a new love, and a false confidence. As we talk about glorification, once it was that Judas left, that's when Jesus says, the Son of Man, now the Son of Man is glorified. The, the final pieces, the final cogs are in gear, are in motion, final gears are turning for Jesus' rejection and crucifixion, which will be for our sake. Jesus had come for that. He's been talking all through the Gospel of John about time and about glory. Well, the time is now and the glory is here. His glory Uh, what brought him to come to earth and be with us and to offer such service of himself for us, that was not understood. Back in the prologue, John 1.14. Now the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. In hindsight, we saw it. But along the way, we missed it and many never saw it. As Jesus said, in John 8, 54, he said, I, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But they didn't see God in his work. They didn't see God in his doing. But it was the Father, because Jesus and the Father were always on the same page, on the same plan of glorification. And now that, that glory has been shown in the miracles, uh, as John uh, 2, he began to show his glory there with the, the water to wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. But now it is time for the ultimate glorification to come. Uh, at uh, John 12, as Jesus finished up his public ministry, uh, Jesus had prayed, Father, glorify your name. And the voice had come from heaven, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And now Jesus says, now is the time. Now am I glorified. Father glorified in me, I glorify in him. And again, verse 32 ended with, it is immediate. And so when the sun rises, 
Jesus will be being taken to the Romans after already being tried in the night by the Jews. And as the day begins, he will be rejected and he will be uh, condemned by them. And by mid-morning, he'll be on a cross. And what we now know is Good Friday, which in so many ways was the worst Friday, except in its effect, which is good. We have the great glorifying act of Jesus offering himself for us. So those immediate events have begun. That has started with Judas going out. And so Jesus, knowing that that glorification ends in death, he says in verse 33, little children, I'm with you only a little while longer. And it is literally a little while longer. It is now a countdown of hours until he is no longer with them. Just uh, in the middle of the night, uh, they will be separated uh, after his period in the garden. When the Romans come to take him away, he'll be separated from them physically. Uh, and then uh, after that, uh, he will be separated from them uh, completely bodily as he is going to be in the grave. And so it's just going to be a little while. And so there's a lot to get in. And we've got several chapters of teaching. But there's an urgency to this because it is, it is the time. And he said, you'll seek me. But as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so Jesus will be returning to his father. They have years to go before they will go to the father. Jesus will tell them, don't worry, in John 14, which is our very next uh, statement. I'm preparing a place for you, but uh, you're not coming right now. So since I'm leaving for a while and you will be left without me, here is a new commandment. And so it's interesting that none of this on the new commandment, they don't ask a thing. This, where I'm going, you can't come. They're going to ask about that. But before we get to their questions, we have one more thing. It just, it just strikes me completely that they don't ask about this at all. He says, a new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so I'm telling you I'm leaving. The main thing I want you guys to get is that you now need to love one another. We think about all the fricus uh, and ruckus and, and friction that had happened in between these men in the years at times, not, not daily, but, but, but kind of regularly uh, with Jesus with them. And he's not going to be there to mediate that anymore. He's not going to be there to explain things. He's not going to be the center of attention that holds them together. Their devotion to him in his absence will hold them together as will the tie of love between them. And so he says, I really need you guys to concentrate on love. And he says, I have a new commandment for you here of love. And sometimes when we see that it's a new commandment, we go, well, I thought that was an old commandment. Way back in the law, right, Leviticus 19, the first instruction in the Bible, actually, where people are directly enjoined to love uh, one another, Leviticus 19.18, uh, you should not take vengeance, not bear a grudge, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the Jews understood that to be a, a really important teaching uh, when all the instructions and questions about the great commandment come up. 
of just one instance, Mark 12, 31. There's several others. But what commandment is foremost of all? Well, the first is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, like unto it. Uh, the second, love your neighbors yourself. No commandments greater than these. And so they, they, they held already, didn't they? That loving one another was second only to loving God. And so we thought, how is this a new commandment? And Jesus had been expanding upon this and teaching about this from the earliest days of his ministry, back in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more do you do than others? Do not Gentiles do the same? Therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus has already been teaching on and expanding the common understanding of the need to love. And so we say again, how is this new? What's new about this? It sounds pretty old. Uh, to me, it sounds pretty regular. But the thing here is it's not just that it's new in the sense of new in time. It's uh, new in the sense of quality. Uh, in Greek, there's actually, and this is where you get one of those few Greek lessons from me. In Greek, there were two different words for new. There was the word neos. We'd have too much trouble understanding neos. It's very much like our word new. And that meant a new thing in time. Like, uh, uh, you know, we, we, this year we'll have the, the new 2023 cars coming out, right? Last year we had the old and busted 2022s. Now we're going to have the new bright and shiny, eventually 2023s. Uh, and then guess what's going to be after that? Well, the 2024. So, so just wait for that or the 2025s. There'll be one of those two, I am pretty sure. But in any case, there's a sense of new like that, that it's, it's uh, new to us, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, new in time, and so it's an increment above uh, that which is old, and so there's that kind of new, there's neos. But there's also a kainos, the word kainos, which means new, and it means a new quality or a new kind. So even if we're talking about cars... If we're talking about cars, there's some years it's a bigger deal to get a new one than, than it was before. And so they'll, they'll be, then they'll say, it's all new, right? They'll have to give you some other modifier to add to new. It's all new or newly remodeled or, or, or uh, newly restyled or, or uh, all new or, comp or updated. So they've changed the body style. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But in any case, they'll let you know this is an all new thing. Or just this last week, I saw... Uh, two different things that I'm semi-interested in. One about microphones and the other about firearms. And there's a firearm that I'm semi-interested in. And they said, we've got an all new fifth generation version. And there's also a microphone that I'm semi-interested in. I have the fourth version. Turns out now there's a fifth version. So in both the microphone and the firearms, this week I saw there's a fifth generation version of both. I'll probably skip both because the fourth is good enough. But in any case, they're letting you know it's not just that it's brand new, but it's new, new. And what has it got to do with what Jesus said? I think the commandment here of love is a new, new. It's an all new. It's a new model new. It's a new kind of new. 
the first thing about it is, we know the commandment is, and this is what's new, love one another even as I've loved you. So our standard is new. It's a love of Jesus kind of love. And that's new. That is new. You, go, you do your word search through love in the Old Testament, and that's part of the preparation I did for this. And you find that love appears pretty often in the Old Testament. But what you find is there's not that many instructions about it. There's lots of examples of it and the like. There are instructions of it, like Leviticus, the second commandment, not saying that there's any shortage or paucity of teaching on love. But then you look at the New Testament teaching and instructions and admonitions of love. For the amount of material you have in the Old versus the New, in the New Testament, admonitions and teachings to, about love come out to be about 10 times more often. About 10 times more often, the New Testament speaks of love than the Old. And so something has changed. If we have the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first of that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and on it goes. And over and over in various lists of things, uh, we have the instruction to have love first, to have love as primary. In 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels... But don't have love. I become a clanging gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. So love is above spiritual knowledge. Love is above uh, the kind of faith that moves mountains. Love is above uh, prophecy. Love is above uh, even acts of charity. Love is above martyrdom. There's nothing in the Old Testament that puts love there. This is where Jesus puts love. And so with this and about 150 other verses, of which I will summarize with two, we have the New Testament instruction that informs us that we need to get and to give all that love provides. The forbearance, the forgiveness, the mercy, the peace, the compassion, the goodwill. Uh, we have these two verses, and we'll leave it. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. When there is a real love there, what would you not but put up with? But when there's no love there, I don't want to put up with anything. I don't want to extend any grace. I don't want to give any forbearance. I don't need this if, if there's no love behind it. But if there's love behind it, what in our own experience have we but seen that we'll put up with? And also, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, people have put up with from us. Now, one more passage, Galatians 5, 6. This is the important things after all the thing about doctrine uh, and keeping to the gospel of salvation by faith, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Well, what means something in Christ? Faith working through love. So this exercise that we have as Christians, it's got to be faith working through love. We traffic in. Our, our whole reason for being here is faith, hope, and love. And by apostolic instruction, what's the greatest of those? It's love. 
Love is above faith and hope. How important is faith? This whole lesson series in the Gospel of John is about faith, right? About having the faith and love and trust in Jesus Christ that brings salvation. And here the apostles go and say, under Jesus' direction, love's above that. And so, this is the new commandment. Love as I loved. Well, it's striking to me, as important as this is, as foundational and fundamental as this is, this just goes by without comment from the apostles. Just like last week, I'm sending you out, and if anybody receives you in my name, they've received the one who sent, me, sent you, which is the Father. And the apostles don't even comment on it. Oh, here's another one. This great teaching about love, it goes by without even so much as a notice by the apostles, because Peter wants to go back and talk about what uh, Jesus said about him not being able to go where Jesus is going. And so verse 36, the false confidence section. Simon Peter said to him, "Uh, Lord, where are you going? I really wish he would have said, Lord, could you tell us how to love? I wish he would have said that, but I'm sure if I'd been there, I would have said something either this bad or worse. And so Peter says, "Uh, Lord, let's let's move back to that... um, um, where you're going thing. We'll stick a pin in this love and we'll get back to it. And you know what happens when you stick a pin to get back to a thing? Yeah, you never, you never get back to it. And so there's no more discussion there. We'll have, just read the rest of the New Testament for the love part. But uh, now we're going to have a discussion about where Jesus is going and what does that mean. So Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now but you will follow later. Well, that already has some new information in it. Because he said in verse 33, he says, I'm only here a little longer. You seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where you're going, where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, we already get, as soon as Peter asked that, we already get two new pieces of information in Jesus' explanation. You can't follow me now, you'll follow me later. And then when we get to chapter 14, which is, Lord willing, our next study, then I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And, of course, we know Jesus did not put that inconvenient chapter break between you know, uh, 1338 and 141. That was added later. So we're still in the same conversation as we go here from the end of 13 to 14, but we'll take the chapter break as a logical place for our studies as well. But Jesus is, is telling them, It's now you can't come, and it's later that you can. So evidently, Peter was worried about Jesus making a trip or Jesus making a preaching journey. We know just a day or two before what the Greeks say, hey, would you come talk to us? And uh, uh, so maybe it's that kind of thing that Peter thinks. And so if Jesus is going on a journey, Peter is going to be there. But Jesus just says, No, you can't come now, but you can come later. Well, we can easily, as Christians, with a great hope in the resurrection, secured through Jesus Christ, the events that are about to happen, we can easily see that as very fitting talk for our our end, right? And so uh, when when people depart from us, loved ones depart from us, uh, parents or spouses or, or, or other dear ones to us in the faith, They've gone to a place that we can't go. 
But we say like David did when his son died, I can go be with them, right? And so we see how that all fits together, and we see what Jesus is talking about. Peter's not thinking about that in the least. He's thinking about Jesus going on a trip, and nope, I am sticking with you. Wherever you go, I will follow, right? That was the deal. You're the master, I'm the teacher, I'm the disciple. Uh, by the way, let's, just so you know, I'm your foremost disciple, right? I'm your main disciple, but I'm sticking with you no matter what. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Okay, for one, you'd be dead. That's, that's, that's part of it. But uh, why can't I follow you right now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. And so, okay, I would die for you. Wherever you go, I will go with you, even at the cost of my life. And I have to say, I think Peter completely and fully meant this. But he's wrong, right? He could not have meant this more. Will he lay down his life for Jesus? When hundreds of armed people show up to arrest him with all the power of the state, what does Peter do? He stands in front of Jesus and the uh, there was 11, so 10. He stands in front of Jesus and the other 10 swinging a sword. What do you expect is going to happen when, that, when you take on that position? You stand swinging your sword in between the one they want and the hundreds that came to arrest him with swords and clubs. You expect this to be a melee where you're going to die but hopefully the guy you're protecting can do what? He can escape. That's the stand that Peter is going to take. I will lay down my life for you. He is more than willing to do that. He proves it. But that's not what Jesus wants him to do or needs him to do. That's not. And so what Jesus needs him to do it's that which he proves unable. In the service that he concocted in his mind of this will be heroic and grand and glorious and this is the helpful service that I should offer, Peter was more than willing to do that. But of the service that ended up actually being required, Peter fell far short. And that's a problem for us, I think, that we are prepared for one kind of battle or two. We're prepared for this kind of service. But we're often asked to do something else. And when we're asked to do something else, that might be difficult. And so Jesus says, you will, lay down, will you lay down your life for me? You say you, you devoted me to that and everything? Truly I say to you before the rooster, it won't crow until you deny me three times. Th through the whole Gospel of John, we've had so many things that were far off, right? It's not yet time, it's not time. But now with the glorification, it's now, it's immediate. And now I, we've got coming and going and it's, it's now. And now we've got as well this prophecy of denial. It's tonight. It's tonight. And so our clock is moving in a hurry, right? And, and that's how life seems to go. How much time is there in waiting? How much time is there in preparation for the... But man, then it just, all of a sudden it's going at once, right? It's all going 100 miles an hour. It's all going 100 miles an hour. And Peter, 
Peter, you're, you're not going to make it through the night. You're not going to have a life dedicated to me without failure, without problem. You are going to not even be able to faithfully make it through the night. In the other Gospels, and this is one of those where uh, all the synoptics record this, uh, we'll read from Matthew and Luke some. We won't read from Mark. But in Matthew 26, we have all of the apostles uh, making things, statements like this. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. You'll, you'll all be gone. For it is written, quoting Zechariah, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples are saying the same thing too. So, Peter is so prominent in this, he gets most of the attention, but he's not alone. They all did it. And so, never say you'd never do a thing. Never's a long time, right? Say if the Lord wills. Say, I hope to not. I plan to not. Lord, help me and keep me from that. But the statement, I would never. Yeah, you might. Peter, Peter found that out. We find out that Peter here is a particular target of the devil. Luke twenty two thirty one, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready both to go to prison and to death. And he said, I said to you, Peter, the crock will not crow until you deny me three times. And you'll say you don't know me. And so Peter was singled out for particular testing by the devil. This is where we pray the same thing as in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, keep us from the evil one. If the evil one turns his attention on you and wants to shift you like wheat, heaven help you. May the Lord help you. May the Lord receive you back if you fail. Because when Satan sifts us like wheat, we write about Job because he stood. But how many could survive? How many could survive without needing to be restored? And so we find that Jesus says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. That your faith not fail. His actions are going to fail. He's going to end up denying the Lord with cursing. His actions are a failure. But Jesus prayed his faith would not fail. Even through failure, we can still have faith. Faith that causes us to turn. Faith that causes us to repent. Faith that brings us back. Judas's faith failed. So there was no coming back. Peter's faith did not fail entirely. So there was a way for him to come back. And then notice this, again, just as soon as Jesus says this, again, what was it in chapter 14? 
do not let your heart be troubled. You know, if I was told, you're going to deny me. I would not have expected, and would not expect, the next words to be, chapter 14, 1, don't let your heart be troubled. I might be real troubled by that. But the very next words here in the Gospel of John is, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, y'all are all falling away tonight. Peter, you want to be the most prominent? Well, you'll do it the most prominently and deny me three times. Now, don't be troubled. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. If that was us, we'd go, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for somebody else. Somebody who won't deny me. But he goes to prepare a place for them. I find that stunning. Some several years ago, in one of my favorite television shows, there was this exchange between the main character who had recently been betrayed and turned upon by one of his assistants, one of his companions. And then when that person who'd betrayed needed the hero's help, this companion says to the hero, are you going to help me? And the hero says, well, why wouldn't I help you? And the assistant says, well, because of what I just did. I just, and he cuts her off and he says, you betrayed me. You betrayed my trust. You betrayed our friendship. You betrayed everything. You let me down. The assistant says, then why are you helping me? And this was the cutting line. The hero says, why? Do you think that I care so little for you that betraying me would make a difference? And so it's one of the better lines I've seen in, in TV in a long time. Do you think I care so little for you that betraying me would make a difference. Well, they betray Jesus. But he knows that they love him. He knows that they have faith. He's prayed that they'll survive this. Now, it's really important we don't betray the Lord. For somebody who had the presumption to say, ah, he'll forgive me, I don't worry about it. That'd be terrible. That'd be over in the Judas camp. But to know that even as he tells them of their falling away and their betrayal, his next words are, I'm preparing a place for you, for you to come with me. Shows you how much he loves them. How forgiving he is of them. And really shows the the fullness of that new commandment that he gives that you love one another as I have loved you. And so here in the glorious forgiveness, the glorious provision, the glorious love of Christ, we conclude our study of this section. Imagine having such a love. The one who died for all humanity, who died for you and me, who died because of our sin. That is his love for us. He is the one calling us to him. He is the one wooing us to himself. 
through the offer of the gospel, asking us to repent, to leave behind sin, and come to him who offers us a home. It's in his name we offer the invitation today. Do you need to come confess him and to be baptized in him? Or do you need to come confess sin to return? This is the one who we know will receive sinful men. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.